I'm so glad I missed this one. The arrogance and conceit of a well-formed argument. That is a flight path uh, of profound pain. If you think the future is inflationary and very inflationary, uh, you've got to be invested in, uh, in its opposite. Are you a moron? Are you really a moron? Go, go and, you know, hose yourself down with someone else, but it's not me. Even though the world finds itself in various states of lockdown, the wheels of the global economic machine continue to turn, albeit at an ever-slowing rate. In this series of conversations, I'm joined by some of the best and brightest minds it's been my pleasure to befriend over the last 35 years to try and gain some insight as to what we can expect the coming months to bring. Will equity and bond markets bounce back? Does a blizzard of multi-trillion dollar stimulus packages mean that central banks have finally reached the end of the road? And if so, what happens next? Is the world facing an even greater depression? Or is a return to the inflationary spiral our likely future? From markets to mortgages, from policy to politics and everything in between, please join me for the 2020 Humanar series. The second of my conversations gives me the chance to catch up with former hedge fund manager, Hugh Hendry. Hugh someone for whom I always had an enormous amount of respect. His vision, insight, and his ability to construct and communicate complex ideas and strategies was the stuff of legend, as was his maverick personality. Two years ago, shortly after he closed his fund, Eclectica, I spent a few days with Hugh at his home in St. Bart, where we filmed a truly extraordinary conversation. And during that time, he bared his soul, revealing not just the depth of his thinking, but also his remarkable heart. In the time since that conversation, Hughes had a chance to regroup, reflect, and rethink his place in the world. And so what better time for us to find out what he makes of the new world into which he's re-emerging. The last time I saw him, I left Hugh in a small beachside surf bar with a beer in his hand. So let's find out what happened next. Please welcome my friend, Hugh Hendry. Hi, hi. <laughs> How are you? I, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. A, a bit hot. I just turned the air conditioning on, but uh, uh, but I'm very good, thank you. Um, do you know you what? Know, I, you know, I nearly bought the bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, hang on. That night or afterwards? Uh, oh, very recently. I, I say it because um, um, I, I was in not I wasn't in detailed um, lockdown to buy it. Uh, someone had actually. Someone had secured it just before me, but the guys who run it uh, wanted out. And I thought, oh, you know, suffers bar, locals only. Um, but anyway, uh, um, it still remains. What stopped you in the end? What was the deciding factor? Oh, no, because as, as someone, uh, somebody else said, I, I have devoted a lot of my time to being on the island in order to be an insider. Um, and I have certainly enjoyed the fruits of such endeavours, but in this instance, I was just a fraction offside with time, and uh, I was a bit late in the uh, in the queue to hear about it. So, uh, but you know, the, I try and mentor a lot of kids on the island. Um, there's a fabulous story. We've got this. Um, we've got a, a burger joint. 
I don't like the, the name. What is it called? Uh, Palace Burgers, I think it's called. Um, but this kid who was a taxi driver started it up. Only 10,000 people, permanent population, fluctuates between eight and 10,000. Yeah. Uh, predominantly French uh, folk. Uh, and of course, it then, like an accordion, it expands and contracts uh, with the, the holiday season. Um, and he's essentially doing home delivery of, um, of burgers, an addictive product. Um, but after, I think, four, maybe five years from starting at zero, you know, turning over 1.3 million uh, and earning three, 350,000. And remember, there are no tax, there's no corporation tax uh, yeah. in bars. Uh, and and, the, and he wanted to sell it. He wanted to sell it for like one times four. But I was like, Wait, no. So I'm always hearing about things. But in the case of Sayalita and the, the surf bar in uh, St. Bars, I was just a little bit late. Well, look, now, there's, I've had so many people since, since we told people we we're going to do this. I mean, I cannot tell you how many emails I've had added to all the ones that I've had since you and I had that conversation in St. Bart uh, a couple of years ago now, which, uh, which was just fantastic. And everybody wants to know what you've been up to. So we'll, we'll get to the world uh, and what's going on uh, and your plans for what you're going to do next. But let's just talk a little bit about what you've been up to in this last year and a half since you, since you closed Eclectica. Almost yeah, it was, uh, we, we filmed that, I want to say, in It was Jan January, January 2018, yeah. Yeah. So remember, it was only no more than three, four months after the, the hurricane. Yeah, that's right. Which is really why we could film it at my house. I, I, I really only get, this is a commercial, I'm talking about uh, my house, Blanc Blue in St. Bart's, um, but it's a commercial property. Uh, it has, it was... Uh, built, financed in order to accommodate uh, short-term holiday rentals uh, in St. Paul's. And it's a, it's a luxury rental. I'm here now, of course, because of the, uh, the virus. And so it's always exceptional circumstances. And that's why, obviously, the house has been closed onto the damages uh, from the hurricane. And, and back then, you know, it kind of that um, interview, it was a bit like The Last Jedi and Luke Skywalker on that kind of dark, somber island with all of his foreboding and misgivings and his self-loathing. And my God, it was so dark. And it rained and it rained and it rained. Um, but I'm still proud. I can't believe out of all of that, I got that the arrogance and conceit of a well-formed argument. I, I, I love that uh, when I watch that. Back. I just, like just such a great phrase. Um, but yeah, I, so afterwards, to answer your question, what have, what have I been doing? Uh, clearly, I had to en uh, enter intensive uh, therapy to try and address right. some <laughs> issue <laughs> brought up by that very dark uh, meeting. Um, and I, I mean, literally, literally, um, because what had happened to me in the, the, the latter stages of my career as a hedge fund manager, if, if you remember, you know, we, yeah, the return, I got 2008. It had been a rocky road. I mean, it had been an unbelievably tumultuous calendar yeah. year. I've been up 25%. I went, I think, down negative seven or eight. Clients probably saying 10, 12, but seven or eight. Um, and I ended, I think, up 33%. Um, and yet my assets more than halved. And they were never that high to begin with. And so I was kind of persuaded. Um, 
to like I was I was offered a view of the world where we could manage a lot more money, um, but it was conditional on me changing my behaviour and largely having to jettison the kind of the pirate, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And it was a success. You know, the the proponents of that strategy were absolutely good. The, everything that happened as they as they predicted, and we got to about one and a half billion in terms of global assets that we were in control of. But I, I think I was so passionate with the curiosity um, of what yeah. I was doing, but very much I was joyless. Um, and then, of course, with the end and the demise of St. Bars, uh, I became passionless and joyless. And the challenge of every day is really, and this is my therapy speaking, but we start the day with the jam jar, and it, immediately you open your eyes and, and sand is filling the damn thing. You know, sand is, is just the noise and the stuff that gets in the way. And the challenge that we have is, is to put some nice little pebbles. And for me, those pebbles are like things which just release um, endorphins for me, you know, dopamine. Yeah. And so exercise, I mean, I am insane. I mean, I'm mentally unstable when it comes to, I want to, yeah, I don't want to live forever, but I do think, um, there are there's a recipe, and I think there is a an obligation um, to 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 take better care of yourself. I, I'm greedy for life. I love it, and I want more of it, despite being passionless and joyless. Um, but my problem was, I for sure I was getting to the end of the day, and I didn't have enough pebbles, and therefore, as a vibrating human being, I wasn't vibrating enough, and I wasn't I wasn't a good. Um, store of value. I wasn't transmitting enough happiness to those closest to me. Uh, and so we worked on that. Um, but I, I, And just one last thing on that. One, one like major revelation. So I and I, it's, it's, I, I, I have no self-edit function, but um, this is why people love you. <laughs> it was just something that made me go, wow, wow. You know, the, so I, my formative seven years like when the you're doing some there's a lot of kind of weird brain engineering going on there and we i was brought up for those first seven years in a in a in a project you know in a housing in a hideous housing scheme and i say hideous because my parents were deemed to be do-gooders people kind of that were on the climate they kind of were ambitious and you know, they were living in a cesspool where that was you know, dismissed. There were people who were openly hostile. And there was a family that we lived in flats, apartments, if you will. And yeah. the family below, the mother had died, leaving this kind of morbid father and six uh, sons. And they just took their, they vented their frustration and anger on my family. And my father delivered milk. <laughs> and so he would, he would leave the house, God knows, 3.30 in the morning. But he would leave with precise instructions to my mother to get me out, like to take the kids far away to, to a public park and entertain them elsewhere. And if you think about it, it's kind of why I became this kind of cuckoo thing that I've never kind of had a sense of belonging. I, I, I never had my tribe and I've always had distance and I've never really carried that many friends through the journey because at an age where you're taught the, the inverse, the nesting, the community is important, family is important, and building, you know, a platform which is protective. We were the opposite. I, I was kind of programmed, not maliciously, but just owing to the circumstances, I was programmed to reject all of that. So anyway, 
the uh, of late um, I I'm gaining the strength and I think the uh, the the, the speed to kind of break out of that, that orbit. And I, and I feel a lot better about life. But at the same time, I have been in, I have been doing things and St. Bart's, people think this is me making it up, but I promise you this is sincere. St. Bart's was my macro project. Okay, so St. Bart's, um, let me, I, I'm most uncomfortable, talk, I don't want to talk, talk numbers and I don't want to do gloating, but I acquired, my property. I acquired an acre of land in St. Bart's at the in, at the beginning of 2013, and I began. And it had been on the market for three years. No one was interested. And I saw. It, I said, "Are you kidding? Full sunshine, huge area, 200 meters from the sea, sunset, sun, you know, island views, incredible, like filmy, and like no one near you." Um, and then we built this thing, um, and it has been. An enormous success, but essentially the idea was to, to find this very rare, they're not making any more St. Bart's. You know, St. Bart's is like this luxury good. It's the same as Aspen in terms of they, they both go back 50 years. And, and once, once you've kind of broken through, you, you kind of don't go back. And there's a lot of networking effects. You know, rich folk come here and they come here to show off because what's the point of working your ass off? I mean, there, there, there is a point. But uh, what's the point of being fantastically successful and being on a private island where no one gets to see just how successful right. you yeah. be? Right. The St. Bars at, at, at Christmas and New Year has the greatest concentration of gigantic luxury yachts in the world. This thing is 23 kilometers in circumference, roughly. And you have these incredible, 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 more billionaires than anywhere. And, and that translates onto the on, on land yeah. and you can build something and your your rental tariff is similar to um, as if you owned a luxury yacht uh, which is to say you, you charge a lot so for me i was getting to own a very very uh, uh, rare property and i was getting to own it with for free and more than free i was being paid on that first transaction i was being given a positive carry to own this asset for nothing, yeah, because the revenue and the profits that we generate from running it commercially yeah. is more than the cash flow of financing considerations. Um, was, was that a part of your, did that play into your decision with Eclectica, just thinking, you know, this, this is so much aggravation, running a fund, we all know, with, with the increasing regulation, it's aggravation. And on the other side, you've got something that you're passionate about, that is giving you positive carry, is much more enjoyable, fun. Because you, know, you didn't strike me as joyless and you know, unhappy when we met. You, you definitely were thoughtful and reflective. But I took that as being the end of one part of your career and trying to figure out what came yeah. next. Was this a part of it? Um, it, it, it was, I, I, oh, my, my thing is surviving. Like when you, I think when you come from where I came from, I'm like a cockroach. Like you can do, you can inflict a lot on me, and I, I'm never going to end up on my on my on my bar. I'm going to end up on my belly. And I'm going to stand up. You know? <laughs> and it was definitely an escape route that I had either subconsciously or explicitly um, drilled drilled into. Um, it had given myself options. You know, it, it was an option, and it became more. You know, which was an option which began in 2013, and it became more and more relevant. And actually, 
uh, when I was able to devote more time, it seemed to have more and more convexity uh, to things which I believed could make me happy. So um, people don't believe it, but I, you know, like I could, I could never switch my mind off. So you know, people, people come to St. Mark's, yeah. and I would recommend it, come and drink lots of rosé and, and have a great time. Yeah? Um, look, look. But I came, and I did all of that, but also I just, I, I can't shut up. And so I was like, how much do you rent this for? How much does this cost? You, what is the, 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 how much does it cost to build this? And how many weeks rental do you get? And, duh, 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 duh. and I said, like, these are good answers. And I programmed it and I thought, well, we've got to do this. But that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's your brain, right? Taking in information and processing it and working out what, what the trade is and what the right thing to do is. But you, but you, you, know, you and I spoke, uh, I guess, a month or so ago, and you were talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like itching. I want to get back into what's going on. I want to sit back into the, into the world and kind of what, what, what caused that and, and what are you trying to do? How are you going to start reflecting that desire to get back into the middle of it all? Sure. At Christmas... Um, I was not invited to the Eden Rock VIP party at St. Bart's at New Year. And as I looked, as I looked around, I, I was becoming less and less relevant, you know, which is like having this enormous ego. That's the, the, the greatest fear. Yeah. The, uh, as I looked at it, I, I seemed to have swapped places uh, from being a hedge fund manager. To, I had become a villa manager. I want to say I was a damn good villa manager. Like <laughs> cleaning ladies, I hope they're not watching this. They're Portuguese and they work incredibly hard, but they're always on the they're always on the fiddle. You know, and I sit there and I catch it every single time. But my problem is, labor is, is so hard to retain staff here, and like during high season, I can't dare confront them. So I just gotta go, yeah, okay, <laughs> like fine, like you know, whoa, you know. Uh, but like really, that was it. I, I, I was going to spend the rest of my time being a very good <laughs> villa manager. I was like, come on, there's got to be more, in, uh, more to life than that. And I have to say, I, I did have a kind of Glaswegian or Scottish, I want to say Presbyterian, I mean, these are just titles. You know? I guess I was born Catholic, but you know, I like the Presbyterian kind of, the story, you get more mileage, I think, Presbyterian. But guilt, guilt. Um, and the guilt wasn't that I wasn't managing other people's money. The guilt was that I still, I think, have a lot to share with people. And I, and I, and I like, this interview is very much a very, I don't know if I'm going to fit this pebble into my jam jar. It's going to be too big. Yeah? Um, but I'm going to, well, I'll go to bed tonight unless I really mess up. I mean, you might ask me, is it, you know, I, I did question time once in the UK and it was going, I thought perfectly well until I was asked, <laughs> Is it legitimate to um, uh, to uh, do nasty things to uh, suspects that you think uh, may be perpetrators of terrorism, or, or, or would I like? Can you torture someone to prevent uh, uh, nasty things happening in the world? And I said, sure. And anyway, that aside, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you that. You're okay. In, you know, life is better because yeah, I spent time with with Grant, and you know, you're like you're a happy place for me, and and then reaching out. And then, you know, I always, I, God love them. I, I love the haters. I love when you get to read, that guy's such a moron. He's so full of himself. Bring it on. You know, the, the lovers, the haters. I'd rather, I'd rather not be ignored. You know? And so um, I got so much 
that I, I, I've always had questions. So like, I kind of want to do crazy things. I kind of want to like make, make videos. Maybe it's like YouTube. I've started this Instagram account. Um, and apologies if you're one of the 50 select people. I send an email thanking every individual person who subscribes uh, or follows rather. Um, you're, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to tell people what your, what your Instagram name is because you're going to have a lot more emails to write, I suspect. Uh, well, uh, well, I, I, I dream of uh, Hugh Hendry Official. My 12-year-old daughter is my uh, media manager. <laughs> she has <laughs> no get her to write the emails. <laughs> so Hugh Hendry Official. Um, and I mean, it's, it's goddamn awful, but I kind of want to have, I have this narrow silo base of, I can talk about, I can talk, I can take you through the, it's 10,000 uh, 10, euros per square meter to build in St. Bars, or we could talk about kind of inflationary outcomes and the volatility curve from what's going on in the global macroeconomy. But at the same time, remember my notion was, well, will I tell you that story? Um, Which one? My, my, my notion was that um, you know I was all as a hedge fund manager. I was always seeking uh, the sponsorship sponsorship of wealthy patrons, and I was staring at a blank canvas, and I was looking for people who wanted to sponsor my vision of the future. And that's not a million miles away from like drawing, writing, etc. Um, and and so I, I kind of very curious, like I kind of reached out to this band. I, I'm really into the Los Angeles music scene, the rock scene just now. So of course I, you I'm, of course, you know, when I'm not in St. Bart's, I'm in Paris. Would you believe that I can lower my, my global fiscal um, liabilities by living in Paris? Uh, when you have complexity, you have opportunities. Um, and so I spend a good amount of time in Paris, which is a beautiful place for three days, but it kind of really doesn't have energy. It's like the food's really shitty. Anyway, I'm probably just really uh, upsetting a lot of French people. Um, but I, during the day, which in, in Los Angeles is 10 hours behind Paris, I listened to this radio station, KRXU, I think it's called, KXL, KXLU, and it is the sound, it, it's, a, it's a university situated by LAX airport, and I listened to it because it's like getting an intravenous uh, drip from young people right into the soul, if you will. And it just rocks. It's incredible. And you have these bands like the Jagged Baptist Club and uh, Mountain, was it Mountain Tribe, something or other. Um, and so I, I love the idea of trying to make something where I reach out to these guys. They've got 900 followers on their Instagram. And they're just, they're, they're, ha they're going to happen now or they're never going to happen. And they release this thing like, uh, I feel like I got a virus. I got a virus inside. I got to, I got to, I got to kick it out. You know, like wow. You know, like stuff like that. It was always how I deciphered. I tried to deconstruct the future through reading, like a New Yorker magazine on yeah. something, or listening to music. And the genius of of just the synchronization of words sometimes acted as a key. And I was like, shit, yeah, that's how the volume moves, or that's how the, yeah, you know. So anyway, that's that's where I am. But you're but you're gonna you, I mean you're gonna start doing video updates, just your thoughts and stuff on Instagram on a regular basis, and talking about everything, or are you gonna go back to talking about macro? What's what's the plan? The well, I talking about macro alone, um, I think we we quickly become joyless. Um, 
And there's really not that much you can say. And secondly, not much I can say. Because remember, uh, when I wrote those letters and appeared on television, I had like, I had this incredible intelligence unit who, you know, so I, I could be kind of crazy and, and, and eclectic, but I could only do so because I was underwritten by people who just weren't 24 7 and yeah. who were straight, straight thinkers, which is not to demean them, just really, really smart people. And if I crossed the line, they would, they would pull me back. I, I kind of don't have that. I, I kind of elements of it, but um, we'll see. I've become, you know, Suddenly with crisis, you know, I'm the guy, I think in 2010, I said to Jeremy Paxman on uh, the BBC, I said, I think you should panic. I recommend panicking, you know. Yeah. Panicking is an over, yeah, it's misunderstood. I was in Paris on the 15th of March, the day before my birthday, and I, and I had booked flights to come here in two weeks' time, and I, I was like, shit, we've got to change plans here. You know, I'm panicking. Get me. I do not want to be trapped in Paris. Panicking sometimes has its merits. Um, and there's a crisis, and we're 20% off all time highs. And like, is that it? Maybe, you know. So I kind of feel I've got a voice, I've got things I want to say just now. Like, I posted on Hugh Henry Official, and I'll probably get arrested. I don't know if, this, if you're allowed to, but I kind of put together, I was like, okay, if I was still running a portfolio, you would still feel obliged to retain a core nucleus of of being long risk yeah. assets. Yeah. Um, but I'd have to kind of be able to, what, what, what would my hedge be? And as so I was, I kind of thought that through, found some charts, like without a Bloomberg, I go, and you know, putting together like being long a front month. Now, not that, when I say front month futures contracts, I went as far as August, because we're dealing with volatility. So, you know, not, not a crazy price. And then matching that going short October, which is elevated, with the proximity of the, the US presidential election and try to bring that together and explain that. So if my mind is still capable of finding those trades and speaking to people, then that's things I want to share. And I think lastly, I do have an objective. I don't think it's, this has ever been done before, but I'm kind of intrigued by the notion of mentoring. Being a CIO of a, of an, of a speculative pool of money is so damn impossible. That, and you, you kind of end up having to live a lie yeah, because the clients have invested on the basis of your superpower, which is that you can see the future. And yeah, yeah I think they know. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and all your staff think you can. Everyone thinks you can, but inside you're like, I can. You know, and you know, I, I, even to this day, I, I attend this kind of a global micro conference, which is like a peer group review. And it's just the grade and the good, the attendance of this thing is off the charts. And it works on the basis that the basis of some of the smartest minds stand up and they reveal their best trade because they want to know the truth. They know that in that room, everyone knows it's a lie and everyone will come back to them. So can you imagine if you're like the typical, like when Soros began managing hedge funds, he was 40. Uh, now that's more like 26 or 28. Yeah. yeah. I guess younger. younger. And I, I have a lot of experience. You know, I'll tell you the truth. I'll kick your ass. So there's a bit of where I kind of thinking of branching out and doing mentoring of um, spec, you know, CIOs of speculative pools of money. We'll see what that takes me. But, you know, when, when you look at the world today, obviously this, this environment was perfect for eclectica, right? Do you, I mean, you must sit there and think to yourself, 
if I if I'd still been around. Do you do you do you salivate at the prospect of being in the middle of this, being Hugh Hendry in this environment, or do you look at it and go, you know what, it would have been just too hard? Oh, I'm so glad I missed this one. I mean, anyone <laughs> anyone asks that question uh, in the inverse is fooling themselves. I mean, the the speed that this all happened, yeah. incredible. Um, no, I I you know. Any ex-clients would be like, yeah, he probably, he wrote this amazing letter predicting it and then he went on to lose 10%. You know? <laughs> I couldn't stop doing that, putting myself down. I'm sure, I'm sure that, that... You do. You really do. Uh, I would, I, I was always, I was always long volatility. Uh, short volatility. Uh, long volatility. Long volatility, forgive me. I was always long volatility. And so um, I, I'm sure I would have um, at worst been kind of flat during this environment. But... Um, I, 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 I am very happy not to have gone through the last two months and, and had, the, um, had the, the liability of managing other people's money. Go ahead, go ahead. I just think because, because I've not had the trauma of all of that, I feel that um, I feel invigorated and I, and I still have energy, whereas I think... Um, it feels as if we compress six to eight months of trading into like one month. And, then, and when I do speak to people, everyone's exhausted. Whereas I'm like, hey, let's talk about this. This is interesting. You know, I think we should do this. And they're like, oh, shut up, you know. Uh, but, so. this, but this was, I mean, look, this, this was the moment that you'd been waiting for. Right? So is there a part of you that wants on the other side of this, you might think, you know what, I can actually go and be a long manager because there's going to be opportunities out here that whether it's in equities or the credit markets or commercial real estate, wherever it may be, do you get that itch that once the, once the storm clears, there might be a playing field that you want to get back into? Yeah, uh, no. Um, the, I, I feel, again, um, that my St. Bart's trade is becoming more and more relevant. Um, and so, again, I am able – I mean, just before this happened um, – Again, real asset prices, incredibly high, incredibly expensive, like regardless of asset, real would mean expensive, yeah. And the positive carry that I had where I could buy properties on this island, I could rent them out for 26 weeks, um, and I could set all my liabilities and kind of make money on top of that. I've gone, um, now to do that project, I can borrow money for 20 years fixed, yeah. I can borrow money at less than 2%. I've got currency matching as a euro liability going into a euro-denominated asset. But up until the crisis, the prices being asked meant that it was cash flow break-even. And I say cash flow break-even because in Europe, you, you have these amortization uh, mortgages, and so you have to reap. So 20 years, you're kind of paying 5% of the principal back. So your cost of financing, even locking in, I mean, I locked in, Last year, I locked in 5 million euros at 2%, which is kind of high. It should be less than, but I'm borrowing from a bank in the, you know, in the Caribbean. Um, I wasn't going to quibble too much. I borrowed 20 years at 2%. Yeah. Um, moving forward and how my macro mind works, the challenge that I'm setting myself is I've got to try and borrow at least another five, probably another 10 at that kind of level. With what's going on, so it's like, this is a vault trade for me. Uh, banks, I, I give it no more than two years 
and after the next two or three years, banks will be pulling away from that. Like you cannot offer fixed rate for 20 years, given the monetary and the fiscal intervention. And more importantly, given the mass hysteria, which has overtaken a community, which is now a community of, of debtors. This is, these are communities which are now controlled and managed and influenced by debtors and not creditors. And so that's an environment where, and so the leverage I can get personally is, an, and, and I get to live in a beautiful place. So I, I'm not too greedy. Um, I think, but you know, again, easier said than done, because even that is a, that's still a fat tale. You know, oh, everyone that's jumping up and down, and, and let's say they add 20% to US debt to GDP, public debt to GDP this year. You know, Japan's at 220. Um, you know, and we haven't seen, you know, Weimar. So we've got to be very careful that we don't kind of, you know, if you remember after 2008, we, we ran the kind of Weimar analog you had to buy gold um, as it sold off. And for, I, I want to say three years to the end of 2011, probably pretty much into 2012, all of those kind of Niall Ferguson, Niall, not Neil Ferguson, um, Niall Ferguson telling you that, you know, the, U, the US is going to be like Zimbabwe and all of that stuff, you know, all wrong. Um, and so it's still, the, the tale seems more relevant and I, I, I'm fascinated there's ways of kind of playing that maybe. But well, let, let, let's talk about that, Hugh, because I don't want to interrupt you, but, but that's, you know, where there's been a lot of questions that have been sent to me um, before this and in the feed talking about that, this, 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 the potential that we might be finally at the turn towards an inflationary environment. Do you, maybe not hyperinflation, but, you know, the, the comments you made about trying to lock that money in, the bank's pulling away, it suggests that you think that is the likely outcome. How, how do you see that playing out? Well, I, 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 I tell I've thought about this and it goes back into my infuriating language, the language that I used uh, between 2006 and the advent of the other, the outbreak, the visible outbreak of the crisis in 2008 was that if you think the future is inflationary and very inflationary, uh, you've got to be invested in, uh, in its opposite for the time being, because the, the mechanism, the enabling mechanism to get you into a, a, an inflationary environment is that really, really bad things happen. And so here we are, and, and this, this really bad, what is this really bad thing that's happened? I mean, I mean, clearly the, the very bad thing that's happened is, what is the death count? Is it 45,000 globally-ish, 50,000? Know, so that, that is in, enormously, enormously bad. Um, but in, um, just as bad has been uh, the grip of hysteria and the inability of our trusted uh, media channels to actually perform proper analysis and, and instead whip up with this 24-hour cesspit of like, you know, uh, information which is not, not analysed. Um, so we have a, now we have a labour market which isn't functioning because everyone's at home and and where we go from that is is, is not obvious. So um, the if you wish to bet on this being an inflationary event, you have to be betting that something really really bad comes next. So the hard thing for me there in, in the, 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 sh the, sh the short term in terms of that path is that I like our community and the people I believe who are watching us, uh, and there's this tiny amount who are watching. They just like we slow down on a motorway to watch it 
like a car accident, you know, what's a pie? Um, but the, the analytical community uh, watching this, um, what did, they are probably as aghast as we are that, you know, so the, in the US, the, this nominated person to talk about all the health issues, Fanucci or Fucci or Fauci. whatever, Fauci yeah. with gravelly voice, he's able to, to say, my fear is 200, 250,000 Americans will die. And that's, that's your headline. And, and there's just no article which explains that. And that's, with that, the analysis of this thing is it's really easy. There's 330 million Americans, right? You know, the flu is a very, very infectious disease that works through the system. Um, last season, last winter was a, a really, really bad flu season. Um, it affected 12% of the population, which is to say 38 million people. Um, a lot of the elderly people were subject to like respiratory problems and 230,000 people had to pay a visit to the hospital under those circumstances. And the system dealt with it. And sadly, and, and it, with great tragedy, 23,000 people died in America. So kind of like almost half of the global um, death rate of, of this awful virus. But society functions. Okay. So it, what, is, what I'm laboring to say is that the, the, the analysts within us are saying this thing feels overblown and therefore it's going to be exposed as being overblown and that can only be a good thing whereas if you're trying to chart um, a future which is inflationary you need a map that shows you this thing gets worse yeah yeah, so yeah you need I completely agree chart says that there has to be a five trillion dollar fiscal package which comes next and rather than being sent my, my buddy sent his have you seen these people now? Americans are now putting it on Instagram, Hugh Hendry Official, <laughs> or WhatsApp, <laughs> uh, or Twitter, uh, Hugh Hendry Collective. Um, they are they're, they're they're showing their bank statement with the you know the the, the, the money hitting there, but the, the money hit the banks last night or today. Right. Uh, that check's going to going to be six thousand. It's like well, if we're going to give you six thousand. Why don't we give, we give you ten thousand? You know, and that's. Yeah. But how does that happen? I'm not saying it won't happen. And my suspicion, my gut, is that this insanity in terms of this insanity that's gripped people, understandable insanity, which has gripped people with fear, I think perhaps that's going to be longer in resolving than the disease itself. And perhaps yeah. therein lies the issue. And perhaps also there's one thing for the there's one thing for the Bank of Japan to buy JGBs. There's one thing for the Japanese government to run debt of 220% to GDP is an entirely different scenario when the lender of last resort, but when it's the, the US and the Federal Reserve, which hits those kind of metrics. Um, but like I say, so you're saying, am I not just desperate to jump in at this point? Uh, uh, not, a, not at all in terms of the, the foreboding uh, territory of managing other people's money, because it's yeah. just still a heck of a lot of really hard um, questions and problems that you have to solve in order to determine where we go but it, but you know if you if you were on the battlefield right now what would what would be the things that you'd be looking to address in your portfolio what were the things that you'd worry about ring fencing what were the what were the risks that you'd be most looking to try and mitigate it would be it would be the dollar it'd be the the dollar index is is the gauge the dollar has been kind of um during March, it, it, you know, the dollar's getting stronger and stronger because, again, 
uh, everyone is effectively borrows. The, the world borrows in dollars. Everything tends to be kind of yeah. hedged. Uh, and of course, when you get these volatility shocks, you want to uh, you want to bring down your debt, which is then so everyone needs to buy dollars because they're it, uh, everyone is uh, very structurally short dollars in those kind of speculations. Um, and so we saw the dollar rise abruptly. I, I want to say from like ninety eight to one hundred seven or thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of flight path. Uh, you know, a, a dollar index which goes 110, 150, 120, uh, that, is a, a, that is a flight path uh, of profound pain. That's a flight path of the S&P being not 2,000. 2,000 is a very cute level. You know, it's the Fibonacci, the 50% Fibonacci. It's a very yeah. obvious point. So why is it not 1,700? Why is it not 1,500, you know? Uh, you, I think you could kind of perceive those kind of levels if you're talking about dollar index at 150, 120. That can only happen if the Fed felt it was being overwhelmed and, and, and suddenly it just kind of it pulled away uh, from the market and it's like, well, I've got to think about this. Ooh, ooh, something kind of doesn't feel right about this. And I think they would only be pulled away very, very abruptly yeah. because I think either Trump or whatever, again, debtor, president, the president representing debtors in the community, uh, they would put a rifle to the guy and say, get back in that office and sell dollars, you moron, you know. Uh, and on the other hand, if you are kind of, if you want to bet that this is, this is again, a, a, a period of brief a public mass hysteria, which will be resolved very quickly, and with the just with the playbook of the last twelve years, with the amount of money that they've thrown at this thing, um, then volatility will mean revert again. Will go lower, and asset prices like that markets will go where the central banks have uh, determined they want them to go, which would be higher. And um, that kind of playbook seems more and more relevant if you're looking at a dollar index, which goes you know 100, 95, 90, like 85, 80, um, you know below 80. And that's a market. If that's like that's an S and P that's going back to three thousand three hundred. It's yeah. kind of so. It's very visible, very obvious. It sounds very easy. I'm not saying it's very easy. The day to day reality is very much different. And, and what about gold? A lot of questions about gold. Your views on gold in this environment, obviously potentially inflationary, potentially stagflationary. But again, yeah, absolutely. I, I knew you were going to ask that. The um, um, so let's start being positive. Um, before these events manifest itself, gold had laid claim to being an asset class which had put in a solid base, if not a solid kind of basing recovery formation. Yeah. Just looked like something that you were kind of curious to kind of try and have a go at. So where did we go? We kind of intramonth almost hit 2000 on gold. 2007-ish kind of thing, and we kind of got as low as 12, we probably touched like below 1100 or so, so you had a great bear market, and then yeah. you spent, you spent time, there's a lot of collateral in time, you spent a long time from what, 2012, you spent kind of the best part of eight years of gold getting its ass kicked, uh, which again is good, you know, so, so that would all validate uh, the notion, something, um, you know, I had come into the to the gold trade. It was essentially my first macro trade with the Eclectica hedge fund at the end of 
2002. We started the fund in October and gold bottomed in March 2003. Uh, calendar year 2003, my fund made 50% and it was almost entirely uh, beer speculation in, in the gold market. Um, and the key for me had been that gold had been rehabilitating itself on a relative price basis versus other risk assets. That it had a bear market, that it had flattened, it had stopped falling versus other assets. And given the demise in the TMT bus, gold was beginning to outperform. All of that applies today. So that is very, um, so if I had to commit to risk assets, gold would be very much my, uh, my overweight. You can imagine there's a but. Uh, there's yeah, a but. I was just waiting for it. Yeah, and it's, and it's maybe it's just, it's a weakness of mine where I kind of want to overcomplicate it or I think of the world that everything has to pass through the prism of, of a paradox. You know, my kind of calling card was always when people, you know, life is capricious, weird things happen. And when people go, shit, like, like no one would have guessed that. Who would have guessed that could happen? I'd be like, that, that was my kind of job. That was, you know, that was, that was what I, that was my ambition. And, and so for me, and remember, I had exited gold. So between 2006 and 2008, Wall Street houses began to publish $3,000 gold yeah. price targets when gold was trading at like 800 bucks. And, and for me, it was like, too easy, it doesn't work that way. You know, we, we get an intermission where the, the crowd has to leave the theater, okay? And I think 3,000 is a possibility, but again, my prism, to get there, you've got to radically recharge the central banking community before that's a relevant price metric. Yeah. I think bad things have got to happen. And so I, I took on the hunt for bad things, which was 2008. Yeah. So for gold just now, gold is going to be well-owned because it just makes a lot of compelling, the logic is compelling. Um, if we're going to have this kind of tailish inflation, not even tailish, but inflationary kind of uh, legacy from today's events, I would say you're probably going to get a big further washout, which is say another vol spike, which is liquidation, which is people selling. So I guess what I'm saying is you've got to be able to stomach like a pretty yep. wild ride in gold, but it kind of probably makes sense. But it's a delta one. Maybe you can place some kind of like vol trades on it. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a delta one. But hey, why not? Yeah. So I, I am, I, I would be if I, I have my risk assets today are like, you know, concrete gin palaces and safe bars, probably about to be subject to another hurricane, given the way life is kind of tough. Just now. <laughs> I've got enough risk. Okay. Well, let, let, let's. I'm going to get to some of the questions that were sent. There's so many. I'm trying to go through. There's a couple here that have jumped out. I'll go through a bit more. But. Um, First one I want to ask you, you know, whose perspective, this is from Andrew Wynn, whose perspective on the global markets do you respect? You know, who would you speak frequently with on the markets around today? You know, talking to mentoring, who would you recommend people listen to? A great question. Well, I mean, and listen, I, I, will, I will warn you, Albert Edwards is on the webinar, so you better, uh, <laughs> you better give Albert a shout out. This is his environment too. I, I, I remember like when I was when I was having my coming out moment, like not being gay, but you know, when I was kind of saying I what if I was telling you I was bullish, is that something you'd be interested in? You know, that when I said that send button, I knew a billion dollars was gonna walk out the door and everyone's like everyone on my team were like, 
is he going to do it? And I was like, fuck it. <laughs> I, and, but in that letter, I was like, I am up to here with people like Albert Edwards. I'm up to here with bloody Albert Edwards and, you know, uh, James Grant and, you know, and Raul. I, 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 I named Raul, I'm pretty sure as well. Um, so, um, hi, Albert. Um, I, who do I, good, good match. I, I seems to be like, I, I mean, I love, he just seems to be so mad. Um, <laughs> but when he speaks, I definitely listen. Um, I have to say this. I, I'm probably out of the loop, but in terms of people who get written up, in publications like the Financial Times. Yeah, I've only just started reading the Financial Times in the last two months ago. Um, so I'm kind of out of it and I can't really, I, I can tell you people I don't like, but I really don't want to do that. No, we don't want to go down that road. Let's not go down that road. Okay, another great question I thought here was uh, from uh, Donald. Uh, what do you think the world is not bearish enough about right now? Someone's, someone's watched your old interviews, obviously. What, what are people not bearish enough about? Well, well the, 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 the principal bearish question that needs answering is um, does, how effective is monetary and fiscal policy when our community is gripped with hysteria? When our yeah. community is, when the average voter is choosing not to be rational, how effective is, are, the, are the decisions taken by rational central banks? I think that's the principal bear, bearish point um, today. Um, and then the, the other thing, I, I, I keep saying volatility. Now, let me just paraphrase that. Volatility requires a degree of mathematics, which is way above my skill set. Now, previously, that was okay because I was a principal and I employed agents. And a smart principal will employ agents who are smarter in their silo than they are. Um, I presently don't have those agents in that mathematical kind of firepower, but I keep thinking of this world in terms of volatility today. Yeah. And one of the bearish things is the fact that after, I want to say it was 2012 with the election when, when Ebsan reappeared and became Prime Minister of Japan with his three arrows, it was such a shock to the system because Japan had been the first kind of zero interest rate society. And so it was the first society to turn volatility into an income producing product. Yeah. And, and so the shock, which led to stock prices going up in Tokyo, also led to uh, Japanese equity vol going up at the same time. Uh, it's nothing, there's nothing mathematically that says um, volatility only goes up when stock prices decline. But since the debacle of October 1987, there had, that was, there's just never been an, an experience recorded of vol going up with equity prices going up. And Japan was the first. Yeah. And because of beige asset class, like you've made so much money selling vol that I can see how people will return back to that practice. And, and certainly if they, they feel they've got the central banks behind them. Um, but that's where I could see the bearish consequences of the size and the scale of that trade. I, I think there was an article today. I think there's already like March clearly kind of was a was a cluster bomb in terms of that space. So I want to see volatility. Now, there's, there's been a whole bunch of questions about 
the social order, political pressure, that kind of thing. Um, you know, you obviously you've spent a lot of time in Paris where the Jean protest is going on. So that that pressure is very evident in France. H- how do you see that affecting markets? And do you think that 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 social unrest spreads to cause problems with the, all the mechanisms they want to put in place to bail people out, buyback bans, all this stuff? Are the public going to get in the way of this central bank and policymaker bailout of everything? Well, I'm. Um, you're right. You know, so I moved to, to live in Paris in August of uh, 2018, 2019, and um, 2019, uh, 2018, and and like immediately the you know, so I live near the the Champs I live near the Parc de, Tri- uh, de Triomphe, the Parc Monceau. It's like Mayfair, uh, but it's kind of where you go if you want to protest. If you want to dump on the French state, you turn up at my doorstep. I, my family and I, we know what tear gas smells like we had to close the windows you know it's 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 france i'm so bullish on the uk versus the rest of the rest of europe for many reasons but i don't let's go into that later but um let me tell you something about so so france i don't wish to kind of it's such an exaggerated crazy place that like to pin it on other economies seems a bit of a stretch but one of the points i did want to make which comes to mind from that is so you had president macron coming through and, it, and again, being very rational, the um, two rational things. So the, the gilet jaune was the, the commitment to the climate, okay? But the, clim- the climate convention never really resolved the issue that um, like elites and very rich people, life is wonderful, we want to live forever and we've got to protect the planet, okay? And we can afford the kind of costly uh, measures which are necessary. In France, uh, their carbon tax was way below the European average, and so they sought to increase it, which is to, you know the excise tax on petroleum, petrol at the pumps. And so they started rise, started to increase that, and of course that was just going against the. So the save the planet thing is incredibly important, but it's never solved how you carry the kind of poor debtor community that have been the downtrodden who've just lost out on the last thirty years. And, and the answer can't be just higher taxes at the petroleum level. With, and then fast forward, we had these immense uh, shutdown of the country in France um, over, over winter, uh, December, January, which was the reform of the pension scheme. And again, it makes a lot of sense. The yeah. pension scheme yeah. is kind of loony. But you cannot introduce such structural reforms when your economy is growing at 1.3%. That is bonkers, right? And why is it growing at 1.3%? It's growing at 1.3% because European banks look like European telecoms in 2002, which is to say they've fallen 80%, but they ain't going up. They're just flatlining. They are, in, in all intents and purposes, from a chart perspective, they're dead. They've had a cardiac arrest, and, they, and we haven't been able to save the patient. Um, you need to be generating like three, three and a half, four percent growth, and then take on the mandate of being a reform president. Okay. Yeah. Now the only way you get to that economic growth is that what they did was they took interest rates to zero. They went negative. And like, wow, we are just like so incredibly smart. But you killed the banking system, and no one make loans. You know, so the the capital intensity, the capital you've got to put aside for taking risk as a banker, makes it uneconomic, and so. We have a European system where you have no dynamic credit lending facility. And, and so it's very prone to people getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And who takes over after Macron? Because Macron is not going to be elected again. So there's angry populations um, are going to be electing 
angry politicians to do to, to take on irrational self what seems to be self-harming activity but isn't, isn't that going to represent itself in more helicopter money and less you know, more bailing out wall street uh, less bailing out wall street and more bailing out main street if that's the kind of people who are going to get elected you have to go that way i guess uh, absolutely and, and and it's why again like you know, they went from one trillion to two trillion in five days in terms of the US dollar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there was a hundred of that. One hundred fifty billion was for the for the health sector. The the check in the post, I think, was two hundred thirty billion. Okay, so we're not even half a half a trillion. And what was the rest of the money? You know, yeah, it's just insane. The next one is going to be just two trillion of helicopter money. And I think actually, again, there's a headline today. I think that Pelosi saying like you know, the next one because she knows there's the next one. The next one is just is helicopter money. Heli, we never had helicopter money. You, it, the inflationary consequences of getting money to people who are going to spend it are far different from the yield curve manipulation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Well, you, you mentioned you mentioned you're bullish on the UK. Um, I'd love to hear why, and also your thoughts on the EU. What happens to the EU? Because obviously we've seen those fissures exposed again, whether it's the Italians raving at the Germans or the Dutch, they're there, the cracks are clear. Does the EU survive and why are you so bullish on the UK? Well, I mean, you're talking about having retired and watching things and wishing you were involved or otherwise. Uh, I think it was last year, you saw people like Brevin Howard just like minting it on uh, BTP, good BTPs. I mean, that was my turn. <laughs> I, um, in 2017, I toured the world just like begging people to finance me because, you know, with the futures curve, it was like a zero carry trade. It was a zero carry blow up trade. Like, why wouldn't you have it? You know, and the, and the most immediate outcome was going to be the French election. Of course, you know, uh, we, we closed it. Um, what was the question? <laughs> the, the UK, why are you bullish on the UK and what you think oh, UK, the, yeah, for you, the EU are? You, yeah. the, the, the cutest thing I want to say, and I, it, just, it just rhymes with me, is the UK was the first nation to reject a fixed exchange rate standard called the gold standard in 1932. All popular opinion said they were completely bonkers. All popular opinion said they would be like wiped out and all popular opinion was wrong. And the whole Brexit thing there's only one commonality with the Brexit thing in that experts have been universally wrong. Yeah. So we had three years of profound uncertainty. UK economy held up, was robust, was, was neither weaker or stronger than the rest of the continent. You know, we've now, they've, they've now, me, I don't know, I'm on an island in the Caribbean, but they've elected um, to leave. I don't see the economy collapsing. And of course they find they, they can just, you know, they can bail out anything. Like, a day doesn't pass without another. Oh, we're just you're spending another ten billion pounds. Oh, right. right. And that was the, that was the case in nineteen thirty-two. They spent, spent, spent. You know, they they lifted. You know, the the you know, the Tories. You've had twelve years of frugality. Uh, the the great thing about there's no great thing about this virus. There's no great thing about this virus. But um, we. The great thing about 2008 was Bernanke, that you had policymakers who were not hard money advocates. And he recognized the scale of the problem and pretty much his policy prescription, I think, has been a, a, a success. Okay. Where we are now, uh, we've yet to determine. Where we are now is that something like left field has happened 
but it's happened at a point where there's just no resistance. So where for Nike had no resistance, they could just do it. Contrast that with the UK, we had 12 years of fiscal sorry, austerity. Contrast that with Germany, which had this balanced budget mandate up until like three weeks ago. Uh, now there's just, so I kind of was trying to say good thing and you can't say good with the virus thing in the same statement, but it's, um, it is all occurring at a point where there's just no one pushing back. Everyone's just saying, we're in it together, spend money. Um, whereas in 1932, the UK was on its own with that policy. So the UK first mover advantage, I think, is taking on the, 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 the debtors, uh, debtors strategy. And it's, you know, interest rates are incredibly low. Don't repay debt, take on debt. That's what they do. But, but and, you think, you know, sorry, the, last, the last thing is sterling. I mean, to yeah. take any cost, but you're able to buy essentially the UK economy at the same price as it was like shortly thereafter, it was intellectually and financially bankrupt after the 1970s. It's trading at the same level. It's a double yeah. bottom yeah. at two egregious, egregious um, uh, price points. Um, now that's, again, it's really easy because I'm an armchair investor now. Like, Go, go try being long sterling. You know, it, it could move 15 points against you and you'd still be right. How can you manage that? So, yeah, yeah. But, but, do you, but do you, the EU, does the EU survive this, do you think? Or, or when this virus gets worse, do the fissures open up even further? I've, I've kind of, I don't know. Uh, but my suspicion has always been that um, no currency regime um, uh, survives without some uh, intervention and iteration that there's, you know, it kind of fails and it has to be re-engineered and then it comes back and it comes back stronger. And I don't think we've seen that failure yet. This is the test. I mean, this is, you know, uh, free borders and movement of capital and labor. And stuff. I mean, God, this is, this is such a challenge. And of course, yeah. what it does to the, to the balance sheets of Italy and stuff. Uh, I don't see the population of Germany kind of as yet embracing Euro, Euro bonds. Um, so I kind of want my, my impulses, I want to say in the short term, that uh, they, they, they still have the mindset, that the, the Northern European mindset is still strong, and, and therefore that could lead to some kind of fatality. And finally, I can't see how France um, evades a crisis via the next presidential election. A couple more questions and I'm going to let you go. First one, uh, Bitcoin. I've had so many people ask me about your views on Bitcoin. Uh, you know, you're not a man I associate with cryptocurrencies, uh, although you do look like someone who might be coding these days. I'm not quite sure about that, but, but what, what's your view on Bitcoin as an asset right now under these circumstances? Uh, I, I am the, the most dispassionate uh, Bitcoin. I, I don't get it. I don't get the security of the thing. Um, it, you know, it, it, I've got alternatives. I feel I've got alternatives, but I, you know, people watching it will know way more about Bitcoin than I am, but I am... Um, I'm happy in my ignorance, if, if you will. Uh, okay. the, the only thing with Bitcoin for me is somewhere around 2010 or something, I, I kind of, I was doing a presentation, there were journalists, and yeah, I was exaggerating. I, yeah, I said, I think Bitcoin could go to a million, which was kind of shorthand for, it's very low and I think it's going to go up a lot. And, and I think it was like 4,000, I think it went to 18,000. But that kind of, Henry says Bitcoin, like, like that literal, <laughs> Henry says Bitcoin will go to a million will be on my blasted tombstone. <laughs> well, not anytime soon. One, one more question for you here, it's been asked a couple of times. Uh, book recommendations, and I'm interested in this too. Any, any books that you, you, you 
you've loved reading or you think people would, would do well to read, whether it's around the circumstances now or just things that have left a mark on you, I'd love to hear about. I will have to answer that question via my Instagram account. Reflection, Grant. Thank you very much for that question. It's an excellent question. Uh, I'm he very much hesitant. You know, I, I feel like I, I, again, I kind of went through a post-traumatic stress, which again is egregiously uh, silly language to compare myself to the stress of a, of a veteran returning from a war. But I'd ask you to remember, there were many times in my office where you kind of, you go, we're going to die. And I'd come home and I'm like, we died. We're dead. Or I'd be, I'd be like going into the office the next day. There's no point going in. I'm dead. And you know, it's massively over the top, uh, ridiculous language. But, but the, the kind of brain and the chemical reaction, actually, some part of your body thinks that, that it's true. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah I, I kind of had this kind of weird period and I, I didn't read. But I didn't read because I was immersed in, in learning the French language. And so I did read, but I was reading things in French, but I was reading, reading like children's books and stuff. So I, I don't yeah. really wish to read. French children's books. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, actually, let me ask you one more question and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, what advice would you give to people who are where you were back in 2008? They're at that desk, they're managing this. What advice can you give about managing that stress, managing that, 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 that PTSD that you talked about? How, how can people handle that better? You know, that's... God. Um, that is, that's the last question, yet it's almost like most dear to my heart in terms of that's the Take one all the thing. time you want answering. Take all the time you want answering it. I spent all of my career trying to answer that because I let me let me tell you a story, and it's I don't wish it to seem unfair. And so I work very closely with Crispin Odie, and I only have admiration uh, for for Crispin's intellect. And you know he's a guy who, you know, has made a lot of money for, for himself, made a lot of money for his clients, um, larger than life. Um, but he was someone, and I think he would, I think he would recognize this, he, he would never take ownership of mistakes. Crispin has never made a mistake in Crispin's mind. And, and I, I've said this to him, you know, this, this is, you know, this, this, you know um, other people, you know, so, and of course we're making mistakes all the time. Uh, but it was always other people's mistakes, you know, and, yeah. and he did. So his system for dealing with that was kind of military, you know, it was the, where decimation comes from. It comes from the, the Roman centurions. Yeah. You take the 10th person, you kill the 10th person. And I was the only one that would say, fuck off, you know, you know go, go and, you know, hose yourself down with someone else, but it's not me. Um, but I kind of, I was kind of, because I had so much awe and admiration that I kept saying to myself, is that it? Is that you kind of like to own the zeitgeist, to be the very best, you kind of have to be so filthy that, that, you, that you cannot admit to yourself that, you, that you're infallible, that that's yeah. how you are able to take on uh, risk and construct risk because you're infallible. And I could never take it. I said to you, I'm a cop coach. I, my, my number one objective clearly was not to maximize the returns, but was to maximize the longevity of the journey. I got 15 years, I could walk away with 15 years. I think I compounded it something around 8% and they were a very eclectic, idiosyncratic set of returns. That's something to be, to be proud of. But I, I, would, I went, I went to, I, again, I sought therapy and I went to a sports therapist and I said, I'm thinking like 100 meters, there's 
12 people in the final. And you can't, at that level, they're from the same gene pool. And you can't really distinguish yeah. them. And they've all, no one's worked harder to reach that point. And yet, one person wins. And typically, if they're good, they kind of win a lot of those contests in impossibly tiny margins. What is it? Just, they're like, they're so filthy. They're like, yeah, of course I'm the best. I am the best. Um, and my therapist at the time did what every good lawyer, accountant, service personnel does. When they can't answer the question, they change the question. And they said, I don't, I've been listening to you about this. And kind of like you told me, like, your office is Notting Hill. You don't, you said to the banks, don't, don't call me in the morning. Don't call me in the afternoon. Like, just don't call me. Like, I can understand your, your brain. Like, I want to say you're an artist. I want to say you, you will be happier when you're hanging out with artists. And I was like, really? Okay. So I, was, I picked up my phone. And, Bono, yeah, Bono. Yeah, like, I can't speak to someone with the therapist. Saturday, two o'clock, fine, fine. I gotta go. He said, like, Did you just speak to, to Bono? I'm like, Are you a moron? Are you really a moron? Did you hear the phone ring? But, it's, but there was Bono. I was like, What? Like, do you think I, in my Rolodex I can just phone up an artist? And, and it, it was conducted in his home. And I said, And if you tell me to take on a pottery class with that thing that goes round and you mold it, I'm gonna go into your kitchen, I'm gonna break every plate in the kitchen. Bloody artist, really? I'm a piss artist, that's where. I'm sorry, forgive me. <laughs> the, uh, to, and to come full circle, so I, I couldn't resolve that question that you were asking. Um, is it that you just have to be, uh, you just have to believe that you are smarter and better than everyone? And there are some people who are comfortable with that uh, and they succeed. Uh, there's some people who feel they're comfortable with that and they lose a lot of money for their clients. And then there's a huge percentage of the population who are uncomfortable with that. Uh, and for me, um, I'm now pursuing a pottery class. <laughs> which I'm not. But well, that's why I want the Jagged Baptist Club and, and my pogo dance in a club of 23-year-old uh, kids um, in Venice Beach. Well, and I'm going to you, video of it, and you're going to see it on look, Q3 or <laughs> Listen, I've got news for you. Apparently, I'm being told here, your Instagram is now up to 170 followers. So there we go. You, we, we've run over. I, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It, it's always so much fun when you and I get a chance to chat, and hopefully we get to do it in person at some point. When I, I'll swim over there if I have to. You're always welcome. All right, man. Listen, you take care of yourself, okay? Thank you. Thank you very much, right. everyone, for uh, you, you devoting the time for this. Thank you very much. Take care, mate. Bye. Bye.